Welcome to this episode of Business Under the Influence. I'm Kristen Dees. Um, to my aft is Ben. Aft? Is that behind me? Um, Port. Anyway, Ben is no, a wildly... A <laughs> yeah, we know, Ben, we know. Um, I think that episode is getting published, by the way. No. Oh, yeah. Anyway, go listen to that <laughs> if you want a terrible time. It's fucking solid. Um, Probably said some shit I'm going to regret in 20 years. Melinda's like, hey, so if um if people try to keep up with you guys and all of your isms, they're gonna be blackout drunk. Like they can't. <laughs> That's very true. <clears throat> it's because they're weak. They're out, you're out of control. Yeah. Um <laughs> anyway, so to my to aft um is Ben, who is a wizard in all things startup and most things math and a little bit of physics, right? I still don't really understand what yeah. physics is, but that's different. We can do an episode on that. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. Ben, uh, fun fact about Ben, he is actually an amateur paleontologist on the side. That actually sounds kind of cool, considering <laughs> right? a change. Yeah. All right. Uh, my turn. Beneath me is my good friend, David, experienced manager, leader, corporate changer, bringer together of the people <laughs> in a corporate environment. Some say... The beard is fake, but no one knows for sure. No one knows for sure. Mm -mm. I like that he's already like gone. Afraid to touch it. Yeah. Well, there he is. I had to re-glue it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, allegedly. Allegedly. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, to my starboard is uh, Kristen. Uh, she is a uh, manager of managing how to make things work good. I don't know. <laughs> I did some free gaming. <laughs> I mean, it's like that's that might be the most corporate description of what I do that I've ever heard in my fucking life. So essentially, if you want to have people do good, she tell you how make good people do. Okay. What? Uh, <laughs> did you have a stroke? <laughs> fun fact about her is uh, people really don't know this. It's been kind of kept under wraps. Is uh, she actually taught Usain Bolt how to run good? Heckin' big run. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Yeah. Uh, what are we uh, drinking? Oh, or what? Great. What have we drank, and what are we currently drinking? So I I uh, started off with uh, pre gaming with oh, a few shots of Fireball because uh, I make bad choices. And then I was like, that tastes bad. So then I went with a little bit of uh, bourbon. And uh, now, now we are Label on blurred. to a nice Hazy Shores IPA from Kalapuya. Label. Oh, okay. Not blurred. Yeah. Ben, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking this beautiful Haunts Red Blend uh, from 14 Hands. <laughs> Haunts. Haunts. Is... <laughs> it's, it's great. I think the beauty of a red blend is that it's never going to be bad. It's like pizza. It's yeah, it's it's like a pizza. I've had some pizzas that are better than others, but you know what? It's goddamn pizza. Mm -hmm. What did you have before that? Uh, the top half of this bottle. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm drinking a Riesling because I want to have heartburn later. Uh, Chateau <laughs> Saint Michel Riesling Columbia Valley 2020, um, and corn chips Fritos to be exact. Ooh, is that dinner? Yes, yes, it is. Uh, my dessert. My dessert will be mini chips ahoy. Did you get that from an airplane? <laughs> no, I'm in an office <laughs> that has snacks. So that's what you get. Um, okay. What do we, okay. So we're talking about change management point two, wait, 2.0 plus a plus plus C final, plus final change underscore no edits underscore <laughs> final, final underscore <laughs> definitely final. final for presentation. No more edits. 
And it's always that, like effective December bumpy. 2020. And you're like, but was that the last one? Like, was there anything after this? I don't know. Yeah. Which sums up change management, I think. So um, we kind of got, got started talking about how to execute an idea you think is dumb slash change for the sake of change slash how to create sustainable change, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we can hit all three of those in depth sustainable and examine dumb. them to the level they should be. Yeah. So, um, David, what are, what are some of, actually let's do, how do you know, oh man, there's so many fucking questions. How do you know when it's changed? Cause we're, I mean, I think we're referencing in general, our corporate experience, which in mm -hmm. a lot of cases is dumb and also change for the sake of change. Um, at least in our opinions, which are always right. Mm -hmm. So always right. How... we can't be held legally viable for it. Right. Um, so what, what is change for the sake of change? Ben, what's your definition of that? I feel like it's a little self-explanatory. Uh, but if I had to be salty about it, I would say it is someone with enough power that wants to put another bullet point on their resume for a different job. Like you have an exec in a location or middle management, and they just want to do something so that they can say they did something when they're trying to like, like for their year end review for the next job outside of the company they're applying for. I led the initiative X. Was it helpful? Who fucking knows? And that is change for the sake of change. A little cynical. Okay. Sure. Um, it's part of your charm. I mean, I'd, I'd agree with that. Made of salt. Uh, yeah. Salty boy. I, I, I feel like for me, uh, change for the sake of change is always initiated by management and I feel like the big uh, warning flags that it is change for the sake of change is that there is no uh, dollar uh, attached to it. Um, so there's no, this will save us X amount of money. And mm. there is no uh, groundswell like asks for it. So like if the team has not requested something and there is no dollar improvement to it, then that's probably change for the sake of change. I also feel like um, a lot of times you, we at the, you know, the lower ends of the totem poles and the trenches, whatever, like, even though we're in leadership, we're still relatively like line level, right? It's somebody at corporate was like, why are we spending all this money here? seems like, seems like we don't need to spend money here. seems like we should spend money over here. And they're like, we should do a project. And then it like trickles down and then it comes into the stores or branches or whatever, Mm -hmm. um you guys called yourselves covens. um covens oh, no that's a good thing <laughs> we're, not, we're not giving corporate life covens um so and then we're like okay i guess we'll completely restructure all of the end caps in every fucking store for no apparent reason <laughs> but it's because somebody somewhere Ooh. was like what if we move these dollars on the PL to over here and you're like all right so then we end up having to like implement and execute a plan that we have no fucking idea where it came from at the Ben's point. There's no dollar. It's not like, it's not like the store is going to see a, you know, half million dollar increase in revenue or some shit. We're just like, all right, I guess we'll just do this. <laughs> I don't know. That's a really good point though. I think that if there was a takeaway for any upper management or C-suite people listening to this, I don't know why the fuck you would. So many of them. All. There's so many uh, of them. I've every single one of our viewers. At hundred. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> Just recognize how much action your words cause. 
-hmm. If someone is at the right level and they say something in passing, your words give the five people under you their objectives. You might have, you know, several salesmen under you, several application engineers, several project managers, whatever it might be, whatever you say, like, I wonder if we should do this. The people under you take that as, oh, that needs to be investigated, discussed, and then things spawn without you intending them to be a big thing. Yeah, and then you get the PowerPoint three months later, and mm -hmm. you're like, what the hell? Yeah, I mean, I even see this? that. I even see that at my level where sometimes I'm like, why the heck do we even do it that way? That seems dumb. And then I have to like pause my people and be like, that doesn't mean you do anything. <laughs> That doesn't mean change it. No, I'm not giving you a thing right I'm now. just thinking out loud right now. Do not <laughs> change how we do anything. And I've had to do that where it's like, <laughs> I've said something like, oh, that's um, the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why are we doing it that way? There seems like there should be a better way. And then I walk away to like stew on it. And then I come back and they're like, so instead of working, we spent two hours compiling this yeah. plan and i was just like oh god damn it no like yeah. don't listen to me jesus yeah. christ what are you doing and the worst mm -hmm. part is it was like that's a really good idea like mm -hmm. i i don't want to incentivize you but at the same time like mm, yeah that's better mm -hmm. not yeah, two hours of work like... better but it is better yeah. So next question, if you are in that position of power, how do you implement change or how do you keep those separate? Like when, when do you hit the go button, do you know? And how do you communicate that to your people? This is a thing. Do I put a red flag on a door and I'm like, this has been initiated. There is a team. Kevin, you're heading the team. Fucking Caleb. Right, Caleb. You're not on the team, Caleb. <laughs> I mean, how do you I, keep I feel... communication separate from thinking, discussing, and ideation? I feel like as a leader, it's a um, it has to be an official communication, like establishing almost even if it's casual, you have to establish a charter that someone has a scope and a job and things they need to do. And whether that's an email of like, hey, Billy, I need you to take James, Paul and Linda, and I need you four people to find a better way of doing this process. I, like for me, that's one of those, I need to see an official something in writing. Even if it is just an email, I need something that I can point back to and say, here is my charter. Here's my authority to take the time to do whatever. And it is up to the level of the person who emailed this to me. So I will operate within that scope. And then same thing, keeping them up to date. Cause you may email them back like, Hey, here's the actions we took. And they're like, okay, cool. That's fine. That's plenty. Or like, Oh, what do you guys need from me to make this successful? And you could be like, hey, you know, whatever, however much money or an extra headcount. Um, but for me, the big thing, damn it, is uh, I kind of need to be able to prove my prove my scope and prove my authority in any change that I'm enacting. You just said so many project management words, and I think I'm in love with yeah. you. <laughs> um, yeah, ben, Ben's having a moment. Um, <laughs> so I think for me too, it kind of depends on this, like the potential impact of the project, because there's team, or there's, yeah, there's team projects that sometimes people want to do that are like, hey, if we do this, or if we do our stand-up different, or if we change the way our email communication or distros work or whatever the fucking thing is where it's like only really impacting your team then that's a much smaller it's like yeah sure let's do that go ahead seems like we'll pick up some speed or make it easier to communicate more effectively and i i think for me too um the difference is if i'm trying to get a project going in corporate life or if a project is being given to me in corporate life because those are different 
Um, and if I'm the one that's implementing the change, which happens often, because again, that's how my brain works. It's what I do. It's one of my most annoying traits. <laughs> it's also a superpower, but it's also really annoying. So, um, then it kind of depends. So like, cause basically, I mean, like we're having some like live therapy right now. I'm pretty sure that if I didn't come up with the idea, I think it's stupid. Oof. Just that was, categorically. That's, yeah, that's fair. So, um, <laughs> there's that, but yeah, I think it because to David's point, it's like, hey, yeah, let's do this thing. And then if it works for our team, then maybe we share it with others and maybe we just are better than them quietly. That's fine, too. You know, that's that's my world. I like to live in is just be better than everyone else quietly. I like other I people know. to know that I'm better, but it's not necessarily this side note. So um, this comes from Strengths Finders. Did you guys do Strengths Finders? <clears throat> yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, we'll talk about assessments at some point in time. I think it's on. I'm pretty sure it's on our list. Um. Yeah, our assessments good is on the list. Um, so one of the mine is achiever, which is different than competition. It just means that I like to be better than everybody, but not necessarily at their cost. Like I'm not trying to beat David specifically. I'm just trying to be better than everyone else. Everyone else is a bar that you want to meet. Correct. Because you want to be proud of yourself. Yes. And that's the patriarchy for you. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh yeah, so I, I like to be loudly better than everybody, but that's a me thing. <laughs> See, that's, I think that's the difference is I was always uh, the best one, just, or the favorite at least. And so I can just be quietly better than everybody else. It's funny because oh, siblings. Yeah. But I like, I like other people to know that I'm the favorite. <laughs> Am I um, the therapist here? Oh my God, dude, Am yeah. I just listening to this? You guys work out some differences? No, oh, I think we're already, very similar. She, yeah. She already oh, worked it out absolutely. violently with my face, so we're good. I'm over. Apparently, <laughs> I've also, I've also just, I've told that story like twice, like in the last, like whenever, so however long it was since yeah. you told me that I beat the shit out of you, and I don't remember. I've, I'm like, yeah. So fun story about core memories. Apparently, I just <laughs> destroyed my brother, and I don't remember it at all. But for him, it's a very clear and distinct memory that has shaped who he is as a person. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. We had a fight once. <laughs> I feel like, like that was what some... was it a Tuesday? Weird. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are definitely some corporate parallels where shit happens to you and then it is a core memory at work that you spend mm -hmm. months trying to resolve. Mm -hmm. Other person doesn't remember. Nope. They don't even yeah. remember saying anything to you. You're like but ruminating. You have imposter like... syndrome and there's things you gotta deal with. Yeah, and then you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent. Um also to your point, someone's point, be careful what you fucking say. Yeah, <laughs> because that shit matters and that shit people pay attention to it like I've I've had some really offhand remarks that I've said before to people like that just in like one-on-ones and stuff I'm like oh I feel like you're you just don't really accept feedback very well and then they're like oh oh um okay and then <laughs> three months later they're like so listen I, <laughs> I've been I've thinking been about this. on this yeah oh, I've been I've... ruminating I've lost sleep <clears throat> yeah yeah I've got anyway. uh so I gave someone a when I took over an area I did just like, hey, here's the assessment of where you're at, me coming in absolutely blind and only having talked to your previous supervisors. Like, so I don't know where you feel you're at or anything like that. Talk to someone. They were absolutely pissed. Uh, they thought I judged them that way. And I'm getting I'm like, I talked to your previous supervisor for this. One year later, uh, I they did their annual, like how I feel I did this year. 
and they were just absolutely were like no one loves me and everyone hates me and i'm the worst ever and i was like i don't know i thought you were fine you just had some areas for improvement and they broke down and cried during their annual review of like oh my you god don't believe in me and you don't have this and i was like why do you feel that way? And they're like, hey, remember when you took over? And so he had actually had the previous supervisor requested the previous supervisor sat in as well, just because he was like, ah, this guy hates me. I don't want to get, oh, you know, I don't want to get broadsided oh in this thing. And the previous supervisor was like, dude, I told him those things about you. He was coming in with my thoughts about you. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I like you. <laughs> like, I tried to work on the things he said were weaknesses for you. And it's like, he's like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like a full he spent an entire crisis. year just being God. like, this guy hates me. And I was doing everything that year, evidently, despite him fighting <clears throat> me every step of the way, which I wasn't aware of, just trying to get him into <laughs> positions where he would like learn the skills he wanted to learn, be challenged, do all these things. And he thought I was always trying to like punish him, I guess. So the entire this is a year, whole sitcom arc. Yeah, he thought oh I was my just God. punishing yeah, him the whole year where he's like, oh, he's putting me in a job that I'm not strong in and he's pairing me with someone who struggles a little bit and so he saw it as like he's punishing me by sticking me in this spot and I was like oh so, he's a really good guy I'll stick him with a low performer they'll figure out this role together best way to learn is to teach and like oh this is going to be great entire year and so at his annual review his previous supervisor was like I said those things about you <laughs> and I was like yeah I've been trying to get you promoted buddy and he's like <laughs> I'm just like envisioning like he's doing all of these like quiet rebellions like um taking all the staplers out of your stapler every oh, night yeah. before oh, he leaves yeah, and then like like making sure one of your wheels on your chair sticks so that you can yep. never fully just like scoot your chair in and out like all these little <laughs> like yeah. replacing all of your pens with empty pens yeah yeah, and then, yeah, end of the year bawling because he's just telling me how much like I've just been absolutely trying to destroy his so life. How <laughs> much change management is really just perception <laughs> management? Because I'm like, oh, wow, this dude's 100%. trauma is an analogy for every dumb project that it's randomly gets spawned. Yep. Yep. It's all perception management. It's PR. Mm. It's um all of the weird little the uh, psychological tricks that you need to do to get people on board with things before it actually happens. So like in the change management cycle, I can't remember exactly what it is, but there's like the early adopters, the people are like, yeah, fuck yeah, I love change. Let's do some cool shit. And then there's the like, meh, we don't really care, but you're probably gonna have to convince us a little bit. And then there's the people who are like super resistant. That's like the mm -hmm. little curve thingy. Yeah, it's all, it's all perception management and using the powers of persuasion that you possess to convince people to be on board with something, especially when you think it's fucking stupid and you have to pretend like you don't, I think. Absolutely. Anyway, David, do you have an alternative theory on no, that? No, I mean, I think that's 100% right. Uh, most of the time when I do change management, the big things for me is... Drink. Damn Oh my that. God, he says that a lot. It's a real problem. Um, so some thing for me <laughs> uh, when i'm in, when i'm enacting change what i look for is a couple of things especially if it's a dumb idea uh is to find is who benefits if there is someone that benefits from the change <laughs> even if it's a micro like just the tiniest win possible and then making sure that um, that group or that person understands that this change is here to help them and then also talking to uh, 
for me going after the people who I know are going to be problems early and yeah. taking them aside and being not being like, you're going to be an absolute fucking pile of shit. Therefore, I need you to get all the way off my back, not just halfway, all the way off my back. So, uh, But for me, man. it's to go to them and be like, hey, do you see how this changes? Do you understand as a human being who may or may not be able to experience empathy? Do you understand how this change helps this other person? And once they say yes, you can be like, cool, we're looking to change every area. So if you come up with any ideas, et cetera, et cetera. So one of my superpowers is getting change resistance people to be the initiators of change over and over again, because if they feel like it's directly benefiting them all the time, they're going to be your hard drivers for initiating change, having good things happen, and, and being the ones that people parties? are going to be like, this person's going to stir the pot. This person's just going to bitch and moan. And so everyone congregates to the shit stir, and then they're like, oh, this is a great idea. I love this change. And Same. then you've just diffused everything by yeah. going after the benefities and then the worst people. And then if you catch that, then they'll just crossfire the middle i guess the middle will They're, just have to go with the change tactical. yeah yeah ben, ben what was your question that david spoke over oh he mostly answered it uh it was <laughs> it was on are you addressing we talked about that curve of adoption mm -hmm. and you have the people that are stoked for it you have the people in the middle who don't give a shit and then you have the people who are going to be opposed and my question was whether in this strategic method of approaching some people first are you addressing that entire back curve or are you accepting that there are some people you might not know who they are who are going to reject it but you identify people who you know will be champions regardless you know what i mean like if i don't yeah. entirely know exactly where everyone lands in this curve how am i identifying who's in that tail end that's going to be my my rear champion i think if you are a good people leader then you know and if you don't know, <laughs> oh my God, my imposter. That's it. That's a you problem. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> because if you, and same for you though, too, in like from like the project management space, like startup innovation, all that kind of stuff, you're involved in the <clears throat> same kind of like you have the same skill sets mm -hmm. just leveraged in a different way. So I feel like I do both. So, and I'm sure, David, you probably do too. But um, I, it's different if I'm the one, again, who's implementing the change. If I'm like, hey, guys, like, this is going to be a really fucking cool project. Like, I'm really passionate about this. We're going to get some shit done, blah, 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 versus like a dumb company initiative that doesn't matter to anyone. Um, but I always talk to those people, the people that either need to have all of their questions answered, which I am actually one of those people because I hate change for the sake of change. And I need to understand why, mm -hmm. period. Yep. almost a hundred percent of the time. Like it is very hard for me to understand concepts if I don't understand why the fuck we're doing them. So like, I'm that person that like my manager should sit me down and be like, Hey, this is the thing that we're doing. Ask me all your questions. Go. Um, so those people, the people that are poopy pants, make sad faces all the time about everything. Um, <laughs> talk to them. <laughs> I let them have their feelings out loud with me instead <clears throat> of in front of the whole team. And then um, with my like my ride or die disciples of Kristen, the people that just love me and think I'm fucking amazing no matter what, there's like hundreds. So <laughs> I'm kind of a big deal. I'm very busy. Yes, um, it is part of my cult strategy. Yeah. So, um, but then I'm kind of talking to them and being like, hey, yeah, if you guys can kind of help me like sell this, like if people are asking questions, this is what I think they're probably going to have the most concerns about. Let me know because they'll usually also tell me if there's something wrong. Like, hey, these six people are going to quit. So you may want to 
you might want to look into that. <laughs> um, and then like David said, the middle people, they're just kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, how does this change my day to day? Oh, I just have to send a different kind of email. Okay, whatever. Like, why are we having this meeting? <laughs> Fine. I don't give a shit. Um, and they kind of, like said, like meet in the middle. If you can get your, the detractors uh, to use an NPI and your, whatever they are, disciples um, on, on the same page. I also do that with like, as far as like leadership. So if I'm doing projects that are impacting other teams or the company in a larger way, and it gets to the point where we're doing like some sort of leadership presentation, whether it's with my direct peers or a larger group, I will do the same thing with my peer group and be like, Hey, Linda name totally changed for anonymity. Um, I know you like to have all your questions answered. I know you hate when we do stupid shit. So like, this is kind of what I'm thinking. This is how far I've gotten. This is who it benefits, how it benefits them, et cetera. I should be like, yeah, cool. Ask me your questions. And then to David's point in the larger group, she's like on board and people are like, why is Linda, why does, why does Linda like this fucking idea? She doesn't like any ideas. Why is she on board? But yeah. Her name's Linda, isn't it? It's a hundred percent Linda. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing to avoid whenever you're doing change management is people know who the yes men are. Mm-hmm. So you never have, you never can, conv- don't even worry about convincing the yes men. Everyone yeah. knows they're yes men. You want cheerleaders, but having the people who are going to support it because you're the boss uh, does not help you at all. So if someone always agrees with you and when you explain your plan, they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And you're like, well, it's not fully fleshed out. And they're like, oh, it seems perfect to me. I love it. Like that's not the person you give a shit about. They're going to roll along with whatever you want to go after. Like for me, my ideal person is, is like a Christian, the person that's going to be in the main meeting and uh, go, okay, that's the change we're doing. Okay, sounds great. And then they get up, they leave, they circle like around the building a couple times, and then they come in and they need to just yell at you for a while about how this is the dumbest thing they've ever heard. Did I think about this? Did I think about this? Did I think about this? And I think a good change manager needs to create a space where people can circle around and then yell for a while because that gives them a chance. You can answer their questions. A lot of times you do have answers or that you're going to be like, that's a great point. I don't know how we're going to solve that. Do you have an idea of how to solve that? And usually if they're pissed about it, they're going to be like, why don't we just do this? This is so obvious. And you're going to be like, great idea. Why don't you lead that initiative? And now your detractor is like implementing the change for you. And you're like, you've been played sucker, but you got to give them that safe (laughs) space. You've got to give them a space where they can just call you an idiot who didn't think about anything that was happening so that they can go out and then then they will proselytize for you and everyone's like holy crap linda is yep driving the change like we had a change management where we had like a board up 6s standard stuff where you have to like sign off that everything's there at the end of your shift all the you restocked all your stations and things like that and we had one guy that was just like this is the dumbest thing i've ever heard in my life sat him down and just let him just go off about how blah blah we don't need this we don't need this we don't need this blah 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 said cool i appreciate that like let's head out to your space like let's take a look at what you think we could do better we walk out to his space and he's just like it's like oh where's your whatever and whatever and whatever things you need to do for your job and he's like i don't know one of the other people must have grabbed it and run off with it and i was like wouldn't it be cool if you had a preset restock area right here and he's like oh damn it and then from that <laughs> point on like, from that point on he was just like they were like why the hell is this guy we'll call him jake for anonymity 
It's Jake, just isn't it? Be up. It is exactly 100 percent Jake. <laughs> uh, but he would be like policing people, and they're like, "This is the dude that hates everything that is attached to the corporation making a decision." And he would be like, "Hey, did you restock your area? I didn't see you sign it off. Hey, how are we looking on this thing?" And there's like, like someone will be holding a roll of things, and he'd be like, "Does that need to be restocked?" And they'd be like. I don't know. And he's like, did you not count them when you picked it up? And so he just became like the big like driver for that of just being like, oh yeah, no, like this is like super handy to have. So I think that's, uh, it, it is very helpful to go after the detractors, but also there will be some detractors. You just will never win. And you just have to get some detractors and then your like supporters. And then all of the, with all the neutral people just fall in line the last two holdouts, they'll just look like surly assholes and no one will like them for it. So peer pressure works. What are some things that you should not do with the people in the middle? Like we've talked about both ends. Ignore the people who are going to be yes men. Go directly for the people who are going to oppose it and see if you can convert them. Like 80% of people, 90% of people are going to be in the middle. What should you not do that is going to make those people fall into the negative category? Um, I think for me, what, oh, wait, is that a drink? Is that one of my isms or is that David? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'll drink anyway. I think for, I'm pretty sure I say for me a lot because I try to be gray. We're becoming, I should probably eat some food. I'm going to grab food. Um, letting, you can't let too much time pass during this like strategy and execution phase. Like for me, (laughs) when it's like go time, um, having those conversations in pretty quick succession. So it's like, hey, like either regularly scheduled one-on-ones and I kind of time it out so that it's like the people I need to talk to are happening all around the same time. Um, or I'm just kind of like, hey, can you, I just have some questions for you on a new thing. Do you want to talk about it? That kind of stuff. But then um, making sure that they f- they still feel like they're involved in the process and that they are still getting their questions answered or if they have suggestions like the space still needs to be held for them. It's just a different kind of space than your disciples or your detract or your detractors. So I think mostly just making sure that like when you start doing all of that stuff, it happens fairly quickly and that you're not like leaving people out of the conversation. Because in most cases, I'm doing one-on-one conversations before I ever have a, a team meeting or a group meeting about whatever the change initiative is. Ooh. It's all one-on-one for the most part at least like on my immediate team, if that makes sense. Like when I'm presenting this to like a larger group of peers or leadership team or whatever, that's different. But for my team, it's like, those are all one-on-one conversations. Micro question and sort of a a conflict between project management and change management. Uh, You said you talk with people before you have that big meeting, the big introduction or Mm -hmm. anything like that, what might be called the kickoff meeting. That, there's definitely a lot of planning in project management that happens before the kickoff meeting, because obviously the kickoff meeting is when everything has been set up, roles have been assigned, and things are about to get underway, whether there are any naysayers or not. Like, sorry, the boat's moving. That's the kickoff meeting. But a lot of times in project management, nothing can happen, and you don't want to spread rumors just from a, a human interaction perspective before that kickoff meeting. There's a definitely a human management element there. How do you approach those people or how much do you discuss before you've actually said this initiative is happening versus getting their opinion beforehand because you have an idea and you know there are going to be naysayers, but you don't even have a project yet? I think so. The process of change management and getting your detractors on board and selling your disciples or whatever happens 
the entire time. Like, especially if you are also the project manager and a leader of people in some way, shape or form, then you should be having those conversations throughout the course of the project. So it's the same kind of concept where it's like, um, I almost said for me again, I was like, son of a bitch, um, we're getting hammered. So from the perspective of me being a project manager and also a people leader, henceforth change manager in some way, shape or form. In a lot of cases, I am doing both, but I'm having conversations throughout the process. And I am also probably being strategic about who I'm checking in with and being like, Hey, like, these are some things that we've kind of found out, you know, we're in still the research stage or whatever. What do you think about this information? Like, what's your feedback or perspective on how we process late bills or whatever the thing is? Um, and that's like happening throughout. I think it's fucking impossible to do any kind of like huge, like organization wide project that's going to affect the entire organization without people finding out about stuff. So it's just being oh, totally. I believe in transparency, but that's like, sometimes I overshare things with my team that like maybe other people wouldn't, but it's for the most part served mm -hmm. me well. So I think I'm, it's, I think ahead. it's more around people will take ideation as happening. Mm. And that is often how rumors start in a corporation. Like I want someone's opinion because I know they're going to be a naysayer for this idea. They are the person that I want to tell me why it's a bad idea and what things I need to think about and address. But I'll go to talk to them, say, hey, this is what we're thinking about. You're saying you have to be very aware of that human element. Like, yeah, you don't use words like when we do this, it's right. we're considering this. I want your opinion before decisions are made or yep. you just do a lot more of that interpersonal management so that you don't yeah. spawn a whole lot of why do the 600 people in this organization think we're about to paint the buildings red? That's and like, not a thing. Yeah, because to your point, people are going to think whatever they're going to think too. So like, even if you do a good job of being super clear about it, people are still going to start drawing conclusions and be like, oh, did, that makes sense. Because Ben was asking about this the other day. Mm -hmm. And then Kristen came and asked us. And then David sent an email. So that means that they're going to do a pizza party on Friday. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Oh my God, people <laughs> are like, dumb smart. They're <laughs> yeah. like... It's like fucking crackhead detectives where they will yes. know everything that is going on, every single detail, and then come to yeah. the wrong conclusion. Like we're yeah. all getting fired Thursday. And you're like, yeah, what the fuck? No. Yeah, because exactly. I mean, because like you can only do so much. So I think there's elements of that. And then like the normal people are like, yeah, OK, Ben, I don't know. I literally don't know what the <laughs> fuck you're talking about right now. Like Kristen was just asking me like why we code these things the way we do. So, OK. <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's just going to happen no matter what. But um, anyway, David, what are your thoughts? What are you eating? Is it something good? It's a uh, elk steak. Oh, man. You know what this I want right Cheese. I really want yeah. some brie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're, uh, when I mean, you guys all made great points. That's the best part I'm learning about not talking is uh, everyone else is smart. So. <laughs> Mm. I will not Awkward. I will not retain that information. Um <laughs> nope. Don't want to know that. Gone. It's yeah. gone. I'm trying to like avoid my isms because I almost just said two of them in rapid succession. So that's actually making it a lot harder for me to articulate my point. That's too bad. Yeah. Um <laughs> isms aren't a bad thing. They are the things you have found that have worked in the past, and that's how they became isms. But at some point, something can't be a big thing. It just has to be a thing. That's, okay, fair. There yeah. are only so many big things. <laughs> 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 yeah, 
It's like, I always say it's a very important piece of the puzzle, but like, but like how many, Every <laughs> puzzle like, piece how many is pieces important. are in this puzzle? I mean, technically, yeah. right. Technically All of them every are... puzzle piece is important because there's one sitting out there right now that has a missing fucking piece. So that technically is the most important piece of the puzzle, but here we are. Yeah. But you don't know until yeah. the end. I'm sure there's right. something to learn there. Yeah. But who? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to take it. Okay, so the big thing for me, <laughs> it's the only way I can get my brain moving, especially with stupid changes, is is the team understanding that you're on their team. Like, you are mm. actively trying to make their life easier. And so sometimes you will be enacting a change that you say, I get this doesn't make a lot of sense. I get that you don't think this improves our throughput or our whatever or our sales per minute or whatever the hell we're judged on. But I would not be enacting this change if the alternative wasn't more painful. So, and sometimes that is, if we don't enact this change, it's going to result in me being in more meetings because no one's buying off on the change and me calling you into more meetings so I can to go over why we're changing things. And then at the end of the day, me being like, hey, shut up and color, we're doing this change and you being grumpy about it, that is an alternative. So like, let's just do the dumb change because it doesn't actually negatively affect us. And the alternative is going to be more painful. And so I think that's something that I always try and communicate, especially with stupid changes, is communicating to the team. Like, you know, I wouldn't tell you to do something dumb if the alternative wasn't worse. So we're going to do a dumb thing. Grin, bear it, understand that it's probably not going to be better, but like, we're going to go I with like this. That. Some people like some people just want to know they're helping and it might make their own job harder. But if they understand who they're helping on the team or how this change is helpful, thank God for these people. Thank God they're like, hey, my small piece of this very important puzzle is <laughs> is fine being a little bit more difficult to make something else easier. And then especially the people that understand that sometimes change is stupid. Sometimes it is just a bullet point on a C-suite's resume. But executing it isn't that difficult for the team. And while it's frustrating and dumb, we can talk about that amongst ourselves. But we aren't going to do anything to like stop it or make it worse because, frankly, that is worse than just implementing the change itself. Is that healthy? No. Maybe that's a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome. But that happens a lot. Is, yeah, I, eh, I, ran, why not? I, I ran into that a lot in the uh, <clears throat> rhymes with U.S. military. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Is it okay. the Schmillamary? Sh oh <laughs> my god, Ben, how did you know? Oh, um, fuck, I said it out loud. Oh, uh, no. It is that someone would like, because you're, you you're doing like quarterly bullet points, depending on what rank you happen to be at. And so you are constantly chasing thing, initiatives and things like that. And so for me, some part of that change management became like, does this add any time to your day? No. So it's just putting it on a different Excel spreadsheet that some lieutenant made, but it's the same information we were putting on the spreadsheet the previous lieutenant made. And they're like, yep, cool. Then let's just put it on the new spreadsheet. Like it doesn't add any time to your day. It's not any more difficult. We'll even put it in the same spot for you and just put it in that spreadsheet now. And so you got really good at managing uh, no time waste dumb ideas in the military where you're just like, does it add time to your day? Okay. And then the nice thing about the military was if something did waste your time, 
you could be like, uh, this compromises readiness. And everyone's like, whoa, shit. <laughs> and so you could always drop that if you needed it. But most, you had so many no time waste, just changes for changes sake. So someone could say, revitalize the reporting system for 30,000 airmen and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you're just like, you changed the Excel template, but sure. Good on you, bud. We should do a resume writing episode. I I mean, ooh, yeah. I I feel like I could benefit from that. Maybe we need to bring on an expert. Ooh, that would be a fun fun guest episode. Uh, we have so change change is hard. You got to find the people that are not going to want to do the change and flip them to your side. You know, it's that easy. Have you tried just being better at it? Is the conclusion I've come to. But how do you continue change? Like a project has started, ninety percent of the people involved in this change are fine with it but they're going to forget to interact with that spreadsheet they're going to forget to do it the new way it might even start seeming dumb once they've started it like it it can't be a single meeting hey we've officially changed how do i follow through with that nagging yeah um i will also say too that the change cycle is what created the cycle of grief so people react to change the same way that they react to grief, because that's actually where the five stages of grief came from, was um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in 1969 published her study. That's a motherfucking citation, by the way. For all of the papers that I lied on my citations about in high school, that's a real one. Y'all welcome. Also, as a psychologist, can confirm. Can confirm. It's a real fucking thing. So there's like kind of a couple more steps in like the change cycle but it's basically the shock, denial, bargaining, acceptance, whatever. But like, on, I feel like on the change, the change cycle, there's almost a weird, because I was talking about this with my coach at one point in time. I was like, what the fuck? Like, I feel like I'm always on a roller coaster. It's because we are. There's like shock, denial, like a, a change needs to happen. And that's what's happening. And like, that's usually the first stage of grief is like, what the fuck is happening? Like, I have no control over this. Denial, bargaining, whatever. And then you like start moving through the adoption phase, basically. And then there's like, oh, cool. Now we're doing the thing. And then another change has to happen. So like it's a never ending fucking cycle of like, wait a minute, hold on. Something's changing and there's things you can't fucking control. So anyway, it's a very important piece. I think like connecting those two things made a lot of sense for me in my brain as a human person who does not like change that I do not control. That's what I have therapy for. Um, <laughs> but it's the same process. So it's like if when when people are terminally ill and you know that they're going to die, you get to process all of that shit before it fucking happens and like work through it. And it usually, you know, there's not as much of an up and down process when it's shocking or unexpected that's when people seem to have the hardest time because they're like being hammered with a traumatic event that affects their lives in a very big way with no preparation whatsoever. So it's the same fucking process. Like when people feel like they have no control over what's happening around their lives and work is the biggest part of our lives in most cases, they're going to react badly. So it's like the same, same fucking concept. Anyway, <clears throat> I digress. I'm very passionate about the topic in case you didn't <laughs> notice. <laughs> um, what was your original question? Man, I thought I was going to hold on I've to it, learned... but I like, digress so hard i've learned i'm either really good or really bad at grief apparently there um, is only change change is a positive if i spend more than 24 hours doing the same thing the existential crisis is infinitely worse than grief i think 
a therapist would maybe tell you that you can't be good at grief or change no. but i mean you can be good at anything Kristen. you know this you can oh i do oh my it's, it's where i hang all of my hats is being exceptional at all of the things um okay sorry so your question was change david do you remember how do you keep sorry, change a... going oh yeah yep. okay go david i mean i i was kind of only not kidding when i said nagging a lot of change needs to be just until it becomes habit. Accountability. Be, they call it, it's accountability. It's nagging. But um, it's accountability. <laughs> uh, needs to be just over and over and over and over and over enforced. And the I think the hard part for a lot of managers, especially new managers or managers that are convinced they need to be every, they're like employees' friends, is a, which mm -hmm. is a lot of managers. That's why they got into managing to like stick up for their people. Aww. struggle with which is fair stick up for your people just don't get drinks with them also fire them when they're shitty yeah yep exactly yeah Easy peasy. Hurts. um <laughs> but the uh I, I think a lot of it is just you just have to keep staying on it and people will be like thanks mom got it i understand and then they and they're like then why didn't you sign it off on the checklist and they're like oh fine i did it though and i'm like but it's not signed off on the checklist. You agreed to sign off the checklist. And you just do that until finally it just becomes a habit of them signing off the freaking checklist. And like I'm into some changes where I just need people to sign off the freaking checklist. And I'm six months into a change and I'm still chasing down a couple of individuals where it's just like, just sign off the checklist. How much do you not like talking with me about signing off the checklist? They're like, oh, I hate when you talk to me about the checklist. And I was like, mm-hmm. So sign off the checklist. I you usually problems up, problems up. At that point, I'll be like, "Do you really want to be fired because you couldn't sign a fucking checklist?" Yeah. Like, is that of all the reasons that I could fire you? Is that the one you want to go down for? Are you gonna go home happy? Right. Yep. Is this the hill you're gonna fucking die on? Like, if it is, that's fine. I'll just fire you now, and we can move on with our lives. <laughs> yeah. But like, Let's save ourselves fuck, three dude. weeks. Seriously, just fucking sign the checklist. Yep. We maybe have different management styles. No, I think we have similar management styles. No, we do. Seriously. We do. Yeah. Uh, mine, mine probably has more mocking, and yours has uh, maybe less. I mocking. prefer passive aggressive mm -hmm. accountability. <laughs> That's my. Yeah. Because my the formula is clear expectations, consistent accountability, which some might call nagging, but it's hey, did you do the thing? <laughs> oh, so so and so can do the thing, but you can't. Okay. All right. An idiot. Yeah. Uh, is this uh, here? Can you hold so this pen concerns. real quick? Oh, so you can hold a pen. It's not actually hard. It's not. Oh, oh my God. Okay. okay. <laughs> I actually, um, I accidentally adopted an employee once. It still comes up every year when it comes up on our Facebook feed. But he like walked up to me and he was like, hey, will you sign this blank piece of paper? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then like he filled it in and was like, I will adopt Danny and give him all everything that I own in my car, everything, blah, 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 like a good mother bear would or whatever. I was like, ah, oh, <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> so anyway, sorry. Yep. Well, I mean, if I learned anything from my uh, pro-employee training uh, <clears throat> is if anyone tries to hand you a piece of paper, you slap it out of their hand. Yeah. Lesson learned. I have a child apparently. So. Yeah. Well, and we had people try and uh, uh, have a uh, union. Oh, yeah, we yeah. Uh, at an undisclosed location. Yep. Yeah, exact same. Yeah, undisclosed <laughs> had location. a very similar. But yeah, we had our pro yeah. employee training told us if someone tries to hand you a piece of paper, once you grab it, it's like being served. So you just, oh, set it on the desk. Uh... I'll take a look at it later. 
so many what? So many red um, flags. So many legal concerns. Yeah, I mean that's a different episode. Yeah, some parts of me that were like fucking rally motherfuckers because this place sucks. Um, I'm gonna put that in. We'll talk about unions. Oh yes, unionization. Please. Let's talk about unions and corporate Let's... America. Yeah, because also if your employees are trying to form a union, you have a fucking problem. Yeah, <laughs> like, you don't have enough pizza parties. Something wrong. <laughs> yep. Your employees are very unhappy at a very large scale, and you have refused to listen to them repeatedly. Okay, but can I throw something out there? Yes. Oh, if there was always hot pizza in a break room like you just walk in grab a slice of cheese grab a slice of pepperoni there's a topping station put whatever you want on it i would put up with a lot of shit if i'm honest i mean yeah. to be fair ben we know you're selling prices of bouncy castle yeah absolutely oh, you're, you're a bit on bit fridays of every so other friday we, every you're other a, friday you're a cheap you're a cheap sell we throw we in a got slip you. and slide once in a while and you're fucking Look, good to we're go. all workaholics for different reasons sure, you guys sure, like sure, to be sure. better than others <laughs> i like to pretend i'm five and avoid my problems okay oh <laughs> that actually makes me want to buy you a bouncy house um <laughs> but the other thing with that too is that if you just have pizza every day all the time it's not special anymore so it doesn't matter oh Ooh, speaking of change can i have a million dollars every change. day until it's not no. special yeah okay. yes sure. i would love that uh so uh, i love that things, for you <laughs> yeah things that always make me laugh about sustainable change is a lot of times you see dumb change initiatives put out for employee engagement. The thing is, a lot of times that corporations don't understand is people don't necessarily appreciate the thing you did for them, but they definitely fucking notice when you take it away. Mm. So if you oh, provide yeah. coffee on hypothetically Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and then you take it away, it wasn't the coffee that necessarily pe people will still just wander away from their desk and bullshit with their friends. The, what they'll notice is when you take that away from them. And then that will like, what you did in like positive, oh, maybe I'm this way. What you did in positive is like this much of a growth in positive and then it plateaus out. But what you get back in negative is like way down. So if you do something, it doesn't matter how much it costs. Most of the things cost like 13 cents per employee. I've seen the fucking spreadsheets. We know it's so cheap. Like when budget cuts come, do not, do not cut the little tiny perks because that Ooh, will just fucking I... crater people. Because those are also the things that Sorry. like people like Ben who love their fucking bouncy houses twice a month. Like they're he's like quietly doing his thing. He's just like, oh my god, you guys like I have a bouncy house in my work. I fucking love it. And the those are the people that will quietly be like, oh okay, fuck you then. Like you don't give a shit about me at all. I am just a number in a bouncy house living my best life. I'm gonna bounce my ass right out of but, there. But not a bouncy <laughs> house anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's just one of my side rants. That's not necessarily related to change. But a I lot have... of times, a lot of change, a lot of dumb change is driven out of employer initiatives to be like, holy crap, have you seen our turnover rate? Everyone come up with an idea of how we retain people. I that's not like a we... pizza party, Todd, because we already have pizza <laughs> parties. I feel like we've reached critical mass of tangents for change management. How but dare you, Ben? I want to add another tangent on top of that. And when, when we talk again about where does the money go and you're analyzing budgets and spreadsheets, the coffee is not the thing, right? You have 
a you have a curve of where your cash is going and you know 20 percent here 40 percent here and there are infinite philosophical discussions and technical discussions over where your money should be going and where you want it going but you know what if something is one percent of your budget and you cut that one percent by 20 percent you have done fucking nothing but piss people off and when you evaluate those things that you're going to cut Look at them in the big picture before you cut them because you are getting a lot more value than you think for 13 cents a head count. Yep. So uh, one of my previous employing places, one of the big things was I had to go after people who were at like 98% efficiency. That's so Uh, dumb. You have a conversation with someone because they are not meeting the 100% expectation. To be fair, it was not like it's not necessarily a hard uh, bar to clear. However... Um, 98% is probably about 0.0017 cents per hour beyond what someone is getting at 100% efficiency. However, gas just went up by 250. So do you think it's our transportation budget that's actually causing us to be in the have any budget issues? Or do you think it's that one dude losing us 17 cents per pay period? That, like, yeah, could be a whole second episode. It well, was we an went episode, on a tangent. But it was a you left, show. so we were able to go on a tangent. Yeah. Oh, we started yeah. to well, revisit where does the money go? Yeah. No, but that's a good point, though, because it is um, labor is usually your biggest expense, right? I mean, next to maybe like your footprint and operations, depending on what you do. But um, that's a, how I met your mother. You can drink if you watch that. But um, is anyway. So um, wait, do you say general something? But um, uh, generally general something. Yeah. Major problem. But but um is the one where she does like that she gets everyone hammered because she finds out that the college kids are doing a drinking game on her show because she says but um all the time mm-hmm. and then she finds out and says but um okay you guys are welcome for the trivia so yeah cutting costs because you can't make enough money to cover your costs is also not always the right move like if the solution is okay so our gas costs have increased hopefully temporarily by this percentage. Um, What can we do to bring in additional revenue? I think most companies panic and start trying to cut costs, which usually affects employees almost directly in every single way. It's either laying people off, reducing perks, benefits, whatever, instead of being like, how the fuck do we make some more money though? Like, how is that? Because the businesses who thrived during COVID specifically were the ones that were like, how do we make more money? Like, how do we continue to bring in money and revenue? in a completely changed business landscape, restaurants, bars, whatever, um, instead of, I mean, like some of them still have to lay employees off and not, get what I'm saying. Anyway, corporate is different. Did I join our that side was, note? You, you joined the tangent. Really you well. absolutely nailed the tangent. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Exactly great, what great, we were talking great. about. Ben I was saying a bounce I, house. <laughs> yeah. I think we've reached critical mass for okay. tangents on change management. Yes. Um, okay. So, um, Let's talk about on change management. How how do you go about getting, if you have a great idea? Ben has ben. a question in the back. Yeah. Do we have a lot more on change management? Do we want a whole third episode on change well, I, management? Well, no, I don't think we have a whole lot more, but I'm now I'm scared okay. to ask the question. Ask the question and we'll see what happens. Right. Is it a dumb so, question? No, also that. it's a good question. Okay. Shut up, Ben. I have good questions sometimes. Uh, so if the idea is yours, so in Kristen's case, the best idea ever. If the idea is yours, how do you get the buy-off to enact the change? Ooh, that is a good question. Yeah. Where oh, are yeah. you in the management chain or the, uh, you are, or the soft power chain? Yeah, and like 
talk maybe talk about both because sometimes you can be low on the totem pole but high on the uh soft power chain that's ben's superpower is find the find the fulcrums i am uh what's his butt in lord of the rings the creepy dude whispering in the king's ear that's my specialty <laughs> at helm's deep fuck Worm i tongue. am that's all like my every nerve and that's rohan ben jesus christ is that oh no it is rohan fuck i am sorry all of my friends who have watched lord of the rings a hundred times anyway that's my superpower is i'm a creepy old man is is where i was going with that no but that's like um i don't think that's true um it matters like your your influential power to refer to everything besides lord of the rings too like that's just like medieval royalty structure is like if you can get in a position where it's almost better if you're not actually in power if you're the one who can influence the people that are in power, that's even fucking better because you probably aren't going to get decapitated when the regime changes. So I support it. Um, to all my little psychopaths. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so when it's my change and I'm trying to get someone in charge-ish to I say, to grab more beer, I'll be back. do the thing. <sighs> Wasn't it his question? I'm here for you. I'm listening. No, I, I can hear you all the way to where I'm going. That's just why I'm not on the screen oh, anymore. We live in the future and it's a wireless headset. It's fucking Bluetooth. <laughs> um, it's weirder when he's not there, though. Like, I feel like I'm talking to no one, even though you're also there. So People listening on Spotify are going to be so confused. I know. It's so great. Um, so basically, you're having to do a business case at that point in time. If you're talking about, like, in corporate life. So I have gathered my insight. I've been like, hey, this seems like a problem that we should probably solve. Put together a business case is how I do that. And then I convince the first likely person to agree to my shenanigans. And then from there, they're like, you should talk to this person. And then I convince that person of my shenanigans, depending on the level that we're at too, I might need to get more data and information, but um, it is to an earlier statement, a business case with a financial impact, especially if I'm, if it's a big thing, if it's not something I'm just like implementing at my team or peer level, then like, it's fine. But um, cause I've done some projects like that where I'm like, Hey, this is a huge fucking deal. Like we're either burning thousands or tens of thousands or millions of dollars on this stupid thing. Like if we just did this one thing, like it might cost us a little bit to do it, but um, yes, Ben. So <laughs> you said financial impact and yeah. it, while it might be about the financial impact is what you're describing a social entry point. You have an idea and you are carefully picking the first place to make that idea public, either the first person to communicate it to or the first forum to discuss it in. My what social impact? Your social entry point. So I think it depends. I think it depends on how big the project is. And um one of my superpowers, which leads to my cult leader effectiveness, is the ability to identify all of those things in people. So if I need a cheerleader, then I will pitch it to a cheerleader first. And if I need someone who cares about the financial impact at a different level, then I will present what they want to hear. So because of that little, like how my brain works thing is um, who do I need to convince first and in which direction and how do I need to strategically frame whatever this project is to make them more likely to say yes. I'm probably not a sociopath. David's taking the test. No, uh, no, I was just making a note because I think like the way I approach change is I want to make it harder for the decision maker to say no than to say yes. Um, right. I want to say like, here's the benefits. I've already talked to these people who are the, you know, 
the executors right. of the action. Here's the people it'll affect. I've already discussed it with them. It's a positive change for everyone involved, and it's save us X amount of dollars. Um, I want or them feelings. To be, yeah. Or like people love this change, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, I did this in my local team. It improved engagement by this amount. They do your glint surveys or pulse surveys or whatever your company happens to call them at a higher rate than everybody else. You know, whatever it happens to be, you wanted to like when you hand it to the person that gives you the power to be like, this is the way you want to make it harder to say no. And then if if the easy decision is yes, and the easy decision, most of the time, the easy decision will never be no. The easy decision will be like, oh, you'll need to find out more, or tell me more, or talk to these people. You want to already have that laid out. And some of that is soft power kind of as a skill of who actually influences this person's decision. So there are specific people who I work with now that I know if I want them to tell me, yes, I need to talk to three people prior to it. I know those three people and I'll go to them. If it's somebody else, it's a different couple people. And I was just, if I need them to say yes, I just go to the other people first and make sure all of their concerns are alleviated. And then when we go into the meeting, they're like, oh, how do you feel about this? Bob, Jane, and June, and they're all like, "Oh, this is a great idea." Then they're like, "Okay, cool." Saves them a, it saves them time to process. And the higher up you get, the more time you make just making critical decisions. So the easier it is for you just to hand them an easy decision, the more likely you are to get what you want. Soft power is magical. To all my little psychopaths out there, power doesn't necessarily come with responsibility, and that's where you want to live. Mm-hmm. And people who use responsibility for power are never going to be in power. Yeah, um, it's it made me think of like overcoming objections before the objections can be stated or having an answer to all of the objections that you can possibly fucking think of, which when you're preparing to make presentations, especially to people that are higher up entitled power, we'll say, talking to those people that you know are going to ask you all the hard questions so that you can prepare and have your information on hand so that when they start asking you questions like, well, how much additional headcount is that going to cost? How much of a revenue impact or a bottom line impact is that going to have on our business in the next quarter? You have the answers because someone else has already asked you all the questions. So it's preparing to answer all the questions that haven't been asked yet. I think that uh, as we are as human beings, everyone needs an asshole. So you always need one person who is supportive of you, but will try and tear everything you do to shreds. Yeah. And is like, well, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Prove it to me. And so I think that just to survive in the business world, you everyone needs an asshole. Fucking Caleb. Is that actually going to be our episode title? Because I put finding the everyone fulcrum. needs an asshole. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's late in the episode, but I'm not opposed. For our 12 fans. Yeah. Is this a, hey, I appreciate every single one of them. I do too. They're probably just our 12 friends that we make watch this podcast. Yeah. I want to believe it's like 11 friends and like Jeff Bezos. Definitely. We we don't like Jeff Bezos though. Aren't we canceling him? I mean, hopefully we're fixing him. If he just listens to enough episodes, he'll be fixed. (laughs) Yeah. So it Um, falls in your court, Jeffy. Jeffy boy. So in summation, Ben, Jameen, what Hello. have we learned? Uh, so I have learned, because I'm the least experienced in long-term change management compared to these two experts, uh, is that being a psychopath is good. You get a lot right? of soft power. No. Change takes constant effort. It can't be a single decision that is communicated. That's fine. That's the start of change, but you've got to follow through. 
The other part of change is how you get everyone on board with you for this adventure. And the best place to start is the people you are know or you know are going to say that's dumb. And you're going to find out that you can convince them otherwise, or they will convince you that it is, in fact, dumb. Also, I would uh, like to argue that we are not uh, psychopaths. We are actually hyper-compartmentalized empaths. There's a lot to unpack there. That makes me feel a little bit better. Isn't it sociopath, though, that's actually... like psycho- <laughs> those, or those, no. aren't, those aren't separate diagnoses anymore. Oh, they're the same? Psycho and As sociopath? DSM-5? But I thought... But I thought one more, one of them was more likely to do like spree shit, and one of them was more likely to be like CEO shit. Uh, I mean, psychopaths, yeah, or but sociopath. I thought sociopaths were the ones that were actually like CEOs because everyone uses them the wrong way around. Because they're like, oh, mm-hmm. you're a psycho, but like it's actually psychos that go spree murder whoever, and then sociopaths are the ones that are like cold and unempathetic. I don't think sociopath is actually a uh, I... diagnostics. I thought a lot of new leadership studies were coming out saying that while a lot of CEOs display these traits, they are more associated with decisions they have to make rather than decisions they do consciously trend towards. And that being a sociopath or whatever the DSM-5 currently has uh, is actually a detriment. And that those people without empathy really struggle to make it up any kind of social or corporate ladder. Uh, and so we need to re-examine why a lot of these people end up in these places. Which yeah. I like that. What did you call it? Like compartmentalized? Compartmentalized empathy. Like you actually have to be able to understand how things would affect other people. Yeah. In order yep. to effectively get people to do what you want them to do. But you 100%. also have to understand that you can't let that empathy get in the way of doing what's best for whatever function you happen to be serving in. So if I'm a manager, I don't care how much I like a person. If they're bad at a job, I, they need to go. Yep. But I do understand how much that hurts them and that will change the approach and how I terminate that person. Mm-hmm. But I like when I walk away from that situation, I can I just have to be able to disconnect how I feel about that. Uh that makes a lot more sense because I compartmentalize like a motherfucker because trauma. 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 <laughs> trauma. Trauma. Uh, trauma. uh- <laughs> <laughs> We're but, done. We're, <laughs> I'm pulling the plug. Okay. Eject. Everything, <laughs> is, everything terrible. is terrible. Everything is terrible. Fucking nailed it. <laughs>